Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We will have uh, one more sermon on in our series entitled, We Sing to Jesus. Maybe two. We'll see. But then I'm going to turn our attention toward uh, something that you have in your bulletin each week. Coming weeks following, we're going to be considering our statement of faith and uh, the section there entitled Our Beliefs as we uh, talk about who we are as a church and the reason that we're here and the purpose for God's having us here for such a time as this. But in the meantime, we remember. Yes, it is Memorial Day weekend, and the word memorial carries with it the notion of remembering. As a nation, the day has been set aside to remember those who have sacrificed on fields of battle, serving in freedom's cause. But there is much more to remember than those individuals and the monuments left to them. Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Hear the word of God once again. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. And so... We are called upon to remember. It was World War I, and Great Britain, having entered that conflagration in 1914, found itself in 1915 in a terrible stalemate as the opposing armies had dug trenches across Europe, and they faced off from those trenches. Death was occurring every day. And among the men who died in the year of 1915 was a man named John Kipling. I say man. He was barely more than a boy. He was still a teenager. His father, the famous Rudyard Kipling, had gotten a commission for him by pulling political strings in the British government so that he could serve in battle in Europe. John Kipling went across the channel and he served and he was killed. His parents merely got the news that he was missing in action. And for the rest of their lives, they never knew exactly where John Kipling fell. His grave was only confirmed in the early 1990s. So Rudyard Kipling and his wife were brokenhearted. They were devastated by the loss, especially compounded by the fact that they were never able to look upon their son's dead body. There was no closure. And Kipling volunteered to serve on the commission which was established to honor those who were killed in battle, to honor the dead. And it was Rudyard Kipling who composed that epitaph that found its way onto all of the monuments of unknown soldiers who served in the various Commonwealth armies. 
from Great Britain all the way to Australia. Known unto God. Those are the simple words. Interesting, in recent years, there was a movement in Australia to strike those words from the tomb of their unknown soldier there, but due to a public backlash, the government backed away and left those words alone. It is comforting to think that even though there have been so many throughout the course of history who have died and have been left as unknowns to us, are nevertheless known by God. I don't know about you, but it's helpful for me as a living person to know that even though I'm a relative unknown in the great scheme of things, after all, I doubt anybody in Washington at this moment could call my name without reading it out of a telephone book or Googling it. I'm an unknown, largely, to people who are in places of power and influence. But God knows, because God knows everything. And as we think about the great many who are unknowns to us, they nevertheless are known by God. Moses, of course, was a relative unknown. He perhaps had been somebody at one time because he had been raised in Pharaoh's household. But after all, that was decades ago. After trying to deliver his people by killing one Egyptian at a time, he only succeeded in killing one Egyptian before he had to flee all the way to Midian. And there for 40 years, he was a herder for his father-in-law, an ignominious existence at best. Moses was an unknown. But then on the occasion when he looked and saw a bush that was burning and yet it wasn't being consumed by the fire that burned within it, he turned aside to look at it as anyone would of his persuasion. And I've thought about this a number of times. I've thought about how that I've seen odd things in the woods before and I couldn't help but go look at them. I've seen odd sign and a few odd tracks. Wondered what made them. I remember when I was hiking up Little East Fork one time above the Boy Scout camp that is Camp Daniel Boone there, an old logging road. I was walking along and I looked down there at the trail as I commonly do and I saw a hoof print there in the moist soil and I thought, what in the world is that? It was much too big to be a deer track. If it were a deer track, it would be bigger than that big Hartford thing that they used to advertise with. I mean, it was a huge track, and I couldn't figure, it wasn't a cow track, it wasn't anything like I'd ever seen. My hunting buddy and I looked at it, and we scratched our heads, but about 200 yards up the trail, the mystery was suddenly solved for us when we saw some Boy Scouts who were being assisted in their hike by a llama that was carrying their pack. Now, when I was in Scouts, they didn't let us have llamas to carry our packs with. But that animal was leaving a track there on the trail that was unknown to us. It was simply a mystery. Moses saw this curious thing that he could not turn aside from. And it turned out, of course, to be the Lord himself, the angel of the Lord, speaking to him out of that burning bush. And it soon became apparent that God was hearing the cries of his people in Egypt, as they were crying out for deliverance, and it soon became apparent to Moses that he was going to be that instrument of deliverance. Now, it took some time for him to get there because Moses didn't feel he was qualified. And even here in this passage, after God has given him some instructions already, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, if God's telling you to go and you say, if that doesn't sound like a strong statement of faith. And yet God, in his gracious kindness and patience, 
persevered with Moses, even as he uttered this statement that was less than firm belief. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What am I to say to them? We identify people by knowing their names. Have you ever been in a crowd and somebody pointed at you and said, hey, you? Now, it could have been a good thing that you were being called out, but by and large, we feel a lot better about things when people call us by our name, when they know us, when they're able to identify us, when they know who we are. You know, it's, it's helpful in that way. I can think of a number of times when I've visited people who have been ravaged by Alzheimer's or other cognitive decline. Is it not reassuring when they're able to look at us and still call us by name? And yet how disheartening it is when they're unable to remember our name. Yet we give thanks to God that his grace is sufficient in every circumstance. The Lord knew who Moses was. Moses wanted to be able to proclaim who God was to the people. And so God graciously reveals his name. I am who I am. And we don't have time to go into all of this in great detail. But this conveys to us something of who God is. He exists in and of himself. He is completely independent and not dependent upon anyone else. That is astounding because all of us don't know any existence like that. We're all dependent on somebody. We still have part of our family with us in our condo, and little Ethan is there in our house. And I can tell you, Ethan is dependent on us for things. He can't change his own doctor. I've been trying to teach him, but he's not there. <laughs> and when his mom and daddy aren't watching, I've been, I've been talking to him, you know. I've been saying things like, say grandpa. Grandpa. You know, we've been going over. We're practicing. He's going to get there. He can't do for himself. But that never changes. We become more independent as life goes along, but we are always dependent on others. We are always dependent ultimately upon God for our life and our breath and for everything. God is not dependent upon anyone. When he says, I am that I am, that means he is self-existent. And so there is that among other things. And it also means that he always has been. There is never a time when God is not. I am who I am. I have always existed. I, I was who I was. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Say to this people, I am has sent me to you. So what we learn from this, among other things, is this, that the one true God is an ever-living God. He ever lives. When the news magazine back in the 1960s had that headline on the cover that said God is dead, they were never more wrong in their lives. There will never be a time when God is dead. Oh, yes, our notions about him may change. They always do, like the wind that blows. Opinions are always shifting and changing. But God's not going anywhere. He always has been and he always will be. In Psalm 90, verses 1 through 2, the Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you were God. With our most powerful telescopes, we can't peer so far into the past that we can see before anything came to be. And yet there was a moment when there was nothing except God, and he spoke everything into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and out of nothing, he created all things. As I said in Sunday school class this morning, one of the few Latin phrases I know is ex nihilo. Now, don't get me to quote Latin to you. I don't know it very well. Oh, I also know e pluribus unum. But not much. 
But ex nihilo, out of nothing, he created all things. That's how powerful God is, and he's always existed to be able to do that. Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Listen, kingdoms have come and gone. Entire civilizations have risen and disappeared. But God is still there. His kingdom isn't going anywhere. Always has been, always will be. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How wonderful that is. When I watch the news and I see all the the horrible things that are happening in the world and I see how so much is changing and not for the good. Yet I have a rock, a rock upon which we can stand an anchor that holds beyond the veil. And Jesus himself says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He has existed before everything else has come about and he will be here long after everything that we know and see now. Has come and gone. You know, I was thinking about that this morning when I pulled up and I was admiring our nice new parking lot. I'm grateful for the work that our church administrator, Joe Foster, put into that and making sure you get all the permitting in place. You know all the difficulty you've got to go through? I mean, all the permits. We had to put up all this silk fencing around even though we've got curbing that's that high. Even at the upper end. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'll admit that. But the upper end of our parking lot is eight inches lower than the parking lot beyond it. I don't know how water from this parking lot is going to run up that eight inches and get into that other parking lot and cause problems. But we had to put silk screen fencing there. All right, I'm done with that sermon. (laughs) And I realize, as I said at the beginning, I'm not the smartest person around. So there may well be a very good reason for us having that fencing there. But my point is this. When I pulled up and I saw that beautiful parking lot this morning, I thought, well, that looks really nice. But there is coming a day when the Lord will return and with great fire and everything that we now see will be no more. Buildings in which we have invested, great structures in which we have expended so many resources, all of that will be no more. So much that we now know will be no more. But there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There is a Savior who will remain on the throne and he will be there. Ten million years from now, just as surely as he is at this moment. And that gives me hope when I realize that among all the evil and the wickedness in the world, there is a kingdom that has no end because God himself exists throughout all the ages. That we are called upon to remember. Because in the business of life, we can forget the big things. We can lose sight of the forest when we're in the middle of the trees. I've been there. I remember uh, I was uh, mowing hay for Mr. Ross on Hike Creek one time. Mr. Ross was well into his 90s, and I remember him telling me we had a new Vicon mower to cut hay with, and boy, that thing was good. As Herman Connor used to say, you could lay your years back and let her roll. I'd crank that tractor up to RPMs necessary for it, and boy, that hay would go through there much better than it would in an old sickle mower. Mr. Ross was telling me in that field of alfalfa, he said, uh, he said, yep, it's clean. There ain't a thing in it. Um, 
No holes, no rocks, no gravel. I got in the middle of that field of alfalfa. And as I recall, I found an old box spring mattress. It got mangled up in the mower. There was a groundhog hole, and I hit it so hard I bruised about three ribs, and I hurt for three months after that. There was more in that field than I can even remember. It wasn't clean. And I thought, how in the world am I going to get out of here without tearing up everything I've got? Haywood Tractor Company always uh, or used to get on to us. They said, we broke things on our equipment that nobody else did. Sanford Robertson had to remember part numbers that he didn't have to remember for anybody else. And when I look at the news and I take stock of where we are and I think of the mess that we're in, we have a Savior. We have a Deliverer. We have one who can rescue us. We have the one who has always been, who has all knowledge and wisdom. And unfortunately, in unbelief, the tendency is to want to blame God rather than turning to him. But it is in the denying of God and the turning away from him that we've gotten ourselves in this mess. It is time for us to remember who he is, that he is there for us. We are called to remember the God who remembers us. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, says the psalmist in Psalm 46. Remember him. It is right that we remember sacrifices made. From Bunker Hill to those who have given their lives in special operations in the Middle East, and a whole host of other unnamed places. We owe a debt we can never repay. And family members who gave up their loved ones for our sakes, to them we owe a debt we can never repay. As I've shared with you before, I grew up going over to my great-great-aunt Wilsey Winchester's and splitting stove wood for her because she always kept a wood cook stove. And I I didn't do it for pay. My grandfather would have had my hide if he thought that I took pay from a widow who needed help. So I didn't get money, but she gave me pound cake with canned peaches poured on top of it. I'd split wood all day for that. But her son, Gray, went missing in the Second World War. She was at her house on the hill when a taxi cab pulled up and blew the horn. She had to walk all the way down the hill. And her husband, Lawrence, right behind her. And she received the telegram saying that her son was missing and presumed dead. That's how she got the word. It's not like on Hollywood when some official showed up from the war department and knocked on the door and said, we would like to tell you. No, a taxi cab driver blew the horn. She had to walk down the hill. And she collapsed there on the side of the road. And Uncle Lawrence had to carry her back up the hill. So when I came along and knew her, all of that had happened years before. More than 40 years before, and she still could not talk about him even at that moment without tears coming to her eyes. And at her funeral, I made the remark that we owe her and all mothers like her a debt that we can never repay. We must never forget. But we must remember the Lord our God, the one means of deliverance that we have. And though I've omitted the reference, and I apologize for that, you know it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25. When Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
Remember, bring it to mind. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord willing, next week we'll share the Lord's Supper. Because we need reminding. Because we must actively remember who God is and what he has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God calls upon Moses, his servant, to remember as he calls upon all of his people at all times and in all places to remember him. And ultimately, in these few verses, we see that as God ever lives, so all who belong to him ever live. Yes, the Lord Jesus uses this very passage when he's talking to the Sadducees who denied the resurrection of the dead. That's why they're sad, you see. Hey, it'll stick. Believe me, next time you're going to look at Pharisee and you're going to say, oh, yeah, they believe in the resurrection. But the sad you see, they don't believe in the resurrection. You'll remember. It helped me when I was a kid in school. The Sadducees deny the resurrection. And the Lord Jesus draws from this very passage as a basis for eternal life and for the resurrection of the dead. We see it a parallel passage in Luke chapter 20, verses 37 to 38. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living for all live to him. I am in our Mark passage. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So for those of us who weren't particularly enamored with grammar when we were in school, This is one of those places where I hope that we can appreciate how grammar matters. The tense of the verb. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am, in the present tense, conveys the idea that because God lives, those patriarchs of old who trusted in him also live so that he is at that present moment and is in fact now the God of those men who are living and the God of all who have trusted in him by faith, particularly as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, known unto God. You are known unto him as one who has trusted in Jesus. You will never be forgotten by him. You will ever be Known by God, preserved by God, and kept by God. Because even when this life is over, our life will continue. I can think of graves across the mountains of North Carolina that have no markers. I know areas in the Catalucci Valley where people are buried. To this day, I know where their graves are, and I don't know who they are. But they were pointed out to me when I was a boy. I know where a man was traveling through from Tennessee. He fell ill at someone's home. They had no means of contacting his family because before he fell ill, he didn't even tell them who he was or where he was from. He suddenly fell ill and he died. I know where his grave is, but I don't know who he is. I know another man who was murdered in cold blood and was buried. I know of one man who was something of a rounder. He married a lady in that valley where my family lived. 
and he went missing. Nobody knew what happened to him. Some remains were found at the edge of the woods months later, and they were believed to be his remains, and so they buried them and had a funeral for a man named Tom King. And there was even a letter that was sent to the solicitor in Waynesville saying that Tom King had been murdered, and the two men who committed the murder were named. And so everyone was astounded that they had buried the body of a murder victim. The only problem was that two months after that, Tom King showed up, hearty and hale, just as healthy as could be. And to this day, nobody knows who is buried in his grave, but known unto God. God knows you, and he knows all who have ever lived in the course of this world. Millions and millions and millions who lived life, who now are unknown, but known by him. Yes, it does matter who you know. More importantly, it matters who knows you. And so the question to call to mind in this hour, on this Memorial Day weekend, is more than whether we remember those who have sacrificed for our sake, for the cause of freedom, and then we must remember but it is for us to remember the Lord our God, the one who is there for all people everywhere throughout the whole wide world. For freedom is only found in him ultimately, and everlasting life is only found in him. God remembers. Let us never forget. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you and praise you and we thank you for our Savior. And we thank you for the power to save that is his, the one who came to redeem. Oh, Lord, forgive us our transgressions and open our eyes, Father, that we may remember these great truths of old, that we may remember the old paths, that we may turn back to the God of our fathers, for you are our Father. And Lord, as we walk in the footsteps of those who have gone before us, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob among that great company, Lord, bring to our remembrance that all who have trusted in you ever live because you live, because Jesus experienced death and the grave. But in his resurrection, Grant that we may see the victory that is ours when we trust in him. Lord, bless us with faith to continue, that we may persevere to the end. And Father, grant that by your grace, you would rescue us from this present darkness. That we may behold the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. And so as we conclude, let's again stand to our feet as we sing Eternal Father, Strong to Save.
Forgive me for keeping my distance from you, but uh, I think you'll thank me for it. I want to keep you safe. So go with God's blessing. Know that he is with you. The Lord will never have COVID and have to remain socially distant from you. Just think about that. So may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.